You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast devoted to Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower Series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes, and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. We also discuss King novels related to The Dark Tower, non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about potential Dark Tower-related adaptations. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com and follow us on every level of social media at TowerJunkiesPod. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and with me today is, of course, my co-host, Tiny. Hello. Hi, Tiny. How's it going? It's going. I am yes. sick. Just you FYI. Are, got the stuffy nose going on here. Got so got the Captain Trips. I do. I got the Cappy Trippies. That is so terrifying. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's sad. Well, thank you for, uh, you know, uh, infecting my household. You're welcome, um, man. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, if I'm sick for Captain Marvel tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Are you going to see it tomorrow? I am. I'm so excited. Are you seeing nice. it this weekend by chance? I want to, but I don't know if I'll be able to squeeze it in. Gotcha. We shall see. Yeah. I, I need to ask Feckus, because we, like, we haven't had an episode of Obsessive Viewer this week. I feel uh, bad. Yeah. Um, so maybe me and Feckus can record it next week, or if you see it, we, we can do it next week. We'll figure it out. Okay. Check that out at obsessiveviewer.com. Um, anyway, so today on the podcast, we will be reviewing episodes 8, 9, and 10 of Hulu's original series inspired by the work of Stephen King, Castle Rock. That's right, we are going to be finishing our season one review series of Castle Rock, um, and not a moment too soon. So I'm super excited for that. And, uh, <laughs> I wish I had time to actually do this, so I, like, because this is all going to be something I edit and post, but um, I <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to put it together before you came here. I didn't, but I wanted to um, because <laughs> because it's such a stupid joke. Anyway, um, here's a clip that I put together like an idiot, and here it's listen to this as our intro to our castle. Well. I'll, I'll save that for later. I'm so sorry. Okay. Okay. Screw it. Um, so yeah, we're finally finishing our review series of Castle Rock season one. Uh, about damn time. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we're only six months after. I mean, it's, it's not that bad. It's yeah. Not a big deal. You know, the most disconcerting thing about that though is that they haven't announced season two yet. And, uh, or, like it's been renewed and everything. There will be a season two, <clears throat> but I really wish and hope that we would have had like some kind of details this like by now right yeah we've got nothing it's march and we've got nothing huh um which the first season premiered in like july july yeah Yeah. and like around january and february we were getting um trailers and and we get like little teasers and stuff no actual footage though were we um i think at that point we were getting footage were we okay um Yes. Or no, no, no. I might, I may be mistaken it for, um, Comic Con. Like uh, okay. in June. Um, yeah. but, um, and one thing that I had kind of read was that, like, Hulu is pretty, um, good about, like, releasing their, like, having their shows premiere their 
subsequent seasons, like around the same time as their previous seasons. Oh yeah. So that's why I think that like I figured that we would have something, but yeah, nothing. That is a shame. Yeah, but we'll talk about our thoughts about season two, our hopes and dreams uh, here shortly. But uh, I don't really have any Stephen King news um, or anything. But Stephen King check-ins, I have uh, plenty of. Uh, Before we get to that, though, I do want to mention that if you are a fan of us and you like what you hear, uh, you can donate to the podcast at towerdrunkiespod.com slash donate. Or uh, set up uh, recurring payments at Patreon. Be a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer where you'll get exclusive content recorded specifically for Patreon subscribers. Uh, it has a, an exclusive RSS feed that you can access and listen to us ramble about crap and um, <laughs> our tax returns and um, <coughs> the titles of the Dark Tower books. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so check that out at uh, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. But Tiny, uh, Stephen King check-ins. You got anything for us this week? Nope. Oh, well. <laughs> I don't. Sorry. Yeah, I I don't have anything. Okay. Did you? Were you able to watch the Tommyknockers yet? Not yet. No, okay. not yet. I was yeah. hoping I would have set up my shit downstairs right. and got the PlayStation up and running and mm-hmm. watched it, but uh, I haven't yet. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys want context for what he's talking about, go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Do so. And you can hear all about his remodeled basement and everything. Yes. Um, so yeah, I have got quite a bit of Stephen King check-ins myself. Okay. Though. Let's hear him, bro. Um, let's see. First of all, did you see my fridge? I didn't. Okay. Go. Did you see the? I saw the Facebook picture? post, but I didn't oh, see okay. your actual physical fridge. Oh, okay, it's basically the same, so don't worry about it. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I ordered on uh Etsy. Um. Let me actually look up what the name of the Etsy store was because that is important because it's good work. But they basically have, um, Dark Tower, uh, fridge magnets that I was super excited about. And the great thing about it is that those fridge magnets are like they're the cover design is from the UK cover, uh, cover art from like, like these are covers that like they look gorgeous. Um, and I like have, like I had, I had basically gone like in the past, I have gone onto Amazon and like the amazon.co.uk. <laughs> oh wow. And put them in my, I think on in the UK they call it the the basket um instead wow. of the shopping cart and uh like I've almost paid like a lot of money for these covers <laughs> um but I never pulled the trigger on it and now I have them as fridge magnets which I'm perfectly okay with <laughs> um but and that kind of leads me into the next one which let me find let me go ahead and find this uh Etsy store I think it's like Colt City Okay, I can't find the Etsy store, but uh, I'll put a link in the show notes of this episode. So anyway, um, that leads me into my next one. Uh, the reason why I had wanted to buy those uh, those editions of the Dark Tower series is because a I'm I just am a weird obsessive collector about of these things, and the other part is that the the only like physical copies of the Dark Tower I had were. Um, I'm sure you probably saw this post as well. Um, were the illustrated editions that the cover and spine don't match up exactly. Uh-huh. And I also had the mass market paperback editions of the first four, but 
the first one was kind of lost when I loaned it to a girl that is no longer in my life ever. Right. Um, uh, fuck you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so the reason that I wanted to get the, uh, UK version of the Dark Tower series, um, was because the only copies of the Dark Tower that I had in physical form were the illustrated editions, which are beautiful. Like, the illustrations are gorgeous. Like, I, I remember, Tiny, when you and I were reading the series for the first time, I read the mass market paperbacks, and then I, uh, around book four, I transitioned over to ebook on the Kindle while you were reading the illustrated paperback editions, uh-huh. and we worked together, and, like, I was so freaking jealous. <laughs> yeah. Because those illustrations are gorgeous. They're great, yeah. And, uh... And I remember like borrow, like, like asking to see, like, I would like basically go over the illustrations after I read a book and like, I would like look over and like, Oh, I remember that part. Yep. So anyway, so I finally collected those illustrated editions <clears throat> and it's in my collection. Like I'm, I'm happy because I have a complete set. But, uh, then when the movie was coming out, they released this very lovely, colorful, like box set with uniform, uh, like spine designs and cover art and stuff. You saw this, right? Uh-huh. So I don't need to go and grab it. Yeah, I seen it. Okay, good. Uh, so like I got that. So I, I went ahead and just bought that with, uh, some of my tax checks. So nice. So it's great because I spent uh, a bit of money on, uh, paperback copies of a box set of books that I already own. Right, right. Um, I already own in paperback. I already own in ebook form. <laughs> I already own on audiobook. Right. Um, yeah. So I posted. You are a collector. I am. Uh, just call me Calvin Tower, I guess. But, um, <laughs> oh, by the way, yeah, when I was doing that and obsessing over that, I found out that two of my, uh, two of my books in my collection of Stephen King books are actually first editions. Oh, cool. Yeah, I have the first edition of The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon and uh, Eyes of the Dragon. That's pretty nifty. And I think Hearts in Atlantis, too. Huh. Yeah, but so that's pretty cool. Nice. My parents have a first edition of The Stand. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. It's like 35 years old or something. God, that's so cool. I can see. I may, may actually be older than that now. You what? It may be older than that now. Oh, okay. Anyways. Nice. So, yeah. Very nice. So, yeah, so that's that's my... Uh, consumer check-in. <laughs> um, uh, I've also still been listening to a lot of ebooks or uh, audiobooks in the background while I work. I've gone through, uh, Under the Dome and just finished today my number one favorite Stephen King book, uh, as of right now, uh, 11-22-63. Nice. Um, just finished that today, which I have been talking to Mike about that because he's listening to it for the first time ever. Uh-huh. And, uh, he loved, like, he, texted me and said like he texted me the other day and said does this book stay this good <laughs> um, and then he said it's on pace to be my favorite book i don't know if he means like favorite book right or like favorite stephen king book yeah but like holy shit um and then he says he doesn't bungle the ending does he um so i was like first first and foremost i was like i may not be the best judge of that <laughs> yeah like, i just i admit my bias but um but yeah, and having re-listened to it today and re-listened to the ending, one of the top like three best King endings. Yeah, of any book that I've read of his. I agree. I like. I I really dig that book a lot. Me too. That's a top. Yep. Probably top five. 
mm-hmm. King book overall. Nice. Maybe 10. I know we had the list earlier. We I did. can't remember where I ranked it, but mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's very good. Nice. I'm going to mention it later on this episode. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so yeah, so now I'm on the wastelands, uh, which like to tie it back to what this podcast is really all about. Um, the Dark Tower series, like it's just, it, there's something, I've said this before that there's something so comforting to listening to a Stephen King, uh, audiobook kind of in the background, kind of passively listening to it while like you work or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the, it's like ratcheted up another level when you're listening to a Dark Tower book. Um, just it's this <clears throat> weird, cause like when I'm at work, I'm sitting there, I'm doing, I'm doing my work, I'm doing my job, but I have earbuds in and like, um, Obviously, like I don't have like noise canceling headphones or anything like elaborate like that. I have like twenty dollar, twenty dollar Bluetooth earbuds I got on Amazon, and they do the job just fine, especially for like audiobooks and stuff. But like it's just this we like it's this it's this comforting sensation of just being like enveloped in this story in this world, like while you're working and everything. Like I like I can't wait to go to work tomorrow and spend eight hours processing for my job and listening to the wastelands <laughs> um so yeah anyway um that's it for stephen king check-ins guys we are going to oh yeah i wanted to bring this up too but i don't know if i'm gonna actually pull the trigger on it because i don't know how much money i'm gonna have i was really th- i told you about this tiny but to our listeners and if you want to donate to this um you should, like set up a gofundme or whatever um don't actually do that seriously because I, I should be fine if I actually pull the trigger on it. But, like, I was actually thinking... Because, like, okay. Last year, I went uh, on a trip to Vegas. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about it in a future episode when I review Duma Key. Um, But, like, I kind of, like... There was a day in Vegas where I got up early and I went and got breakfast. And I was like, it's kind of nice. Just like like everyone else is asleep. I'm just kind of, like, eating breakfast and stuff. I'm doing my own thing. I was like, you know, I could go on like a solo vacation. That would be kind of nice. Yeah. Like, just go on a solo vacation. I get that. Yeah. So naturally, a couple weeks ago, I looked up how much it would cost for me to uh, stay a couple nights in the Stanley Hotel <laughs> in, uh, um, oh my God, Colorado, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bull- Is it in Boulder? Um, I know. It's outside of Boulder. I'd okay. have to fly into Boulder and okay. then rent a car and drive like an hour okay. outside of Boulder. Um. And then I was like, you know, that, and like I was looking at the pricing and everything and like calculating how much it would be. And it's like, you know, I could actually kind of do that. <laughs> how much? For like a couple nights? Uh, well, okay. When I say I could kind of do that, it's going to make <laughs> it sound like I'm like loaded or whatever. But I mean, like in the scheme of things, like when I take into account certain financial things that happen in the early parts of the year with my job and taxes and everything. Right. It's doable in the sense that I would blow everything. Gotcha. And do that. So like it would be like a thousand bucks okay. to go out there, rent a car, stay at the hotel, come back. Um and that's just to stay at the hotel. Right, yeah. <laughs> like and also like what the fuck would I do? <laughs> like Yeah. Uh just, just read the book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, that would be so amazing. Read the book, watch the movie, watch the mini series, listen to the yes. audiobook. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I did see on the Stephen King subreddit that someone someone was like, "I'm staying in the, in the Stanley Hotel," and they took a picture of room 217. Yeah. Um, and like I was just like, "Man, that would be so cool. That would be so cool. That is cool." Um, but I'm not gonna do that. But I did think like my compromise of that, a cheaper alternative, 
is that I kind of want to, and I might do this, I might not, we'll see, but I kind of want to go to Maine. Yeah. And go to Bangor and do like, like the Stephen King tour that like sk-tours.com. It's like 45 bucks for a three hour tour around Bangor and they like, uh, basically it just goes through everything like that inspired Stephen King and nice. like, oh, hey, here's the, here's what is like is the inspiration for the standpipe in Derry. And this is, this is the, um, Paul Bunyan statue from it. Oh, uh, yeah. Here's the, uh, sewer. I'm saying all things from it, but um, <laughs> there's other stuff too. Right. Um, but yeah, I just like, that would be so cool. And then like, obviously it's, it stops at the, uh, uh, Stephen King's house with the like wrought iron gates and the spider web gates and right. stuff. Right. Um. Yeah. So I don't know. I might. I might actually do that. That's less than three hundred, or not less than three hundred, but uh, it's less than a thousand dollars. I'll say that. <laughs> right. Um. You could drive there. It's a long drive, but yeah. And I thought about that, and I kind of wonder how much it would be to rent a car and drive out there because I don't really because I my car's like eleven years old. Right. Twelve years old. Um, yeah, I get it. a teenager. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. That'd be a nice drive, and just like spend the whole drive listening to audiobooks. Yeah, and audiobooks. totally. Yeah, and like if I rented a car, I would also be able to listen to it like in the like stereo of the car because my car does not have a radio. Uh, so what I've taken to do do doing is I had this little uh, Bluetooth speaker that I had in the shower for the longest time. Yeah. I just have that in my car. <laughs> so I listen, I listen that to That is audio. sad. It really is. I listen to audiobooks and podcasts in my car through a Bluetooth speaker. Did your stereo go out? Like all it's, the way? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Like the, wow. the display is gone. Like it's done. Like it doesn't <clears throat> turn on or anything. Jeez. Um, like it, my car is falling apart. Um, yeah. Oddly like enough, it. when it's below freezing, the, it works. Like it works oh. for like five minutes. Wow. Yeah, it's weird. Interesting. Yeah. But anyway, let's uh get into our final reviews of season season 1 of Stephen King's <laughs> um, uh, uh technically it's not Stephen King's Castle Rock, but Castle Rock inspired by Stephen King and uh <laughs> I'm so <laughs> I had this idea and I I don't know if I'm going to cut out that whole preamble earlier or not, but um, I had this idea for this stupid ass joke, oh um, to bring us into a, these reviews and I wanted to get it all prepped and ready to go before you got here, but I didn't. So I'm going to have to kind of improvise, but here's, here's the, here's the intro for our Castle Rock reviews. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh God. Castle. Yeah. Castle. Rock is in the house tonight. Everybody just have a king time. Yeah. And we gon' make you lose your mind. Woo. Everybody just have a king time. Clap. Castle. Rock is in the house tonight. Oh. Everybody just have a king time. I can feel it. And hey. we gon' make you lose your mind. Yeah. We just wanna see ya. Review that. God damn it. <laughs> Ugh. Okay, I'm gonna have to edit that in post and then add it. To it. I mean, if there, 
if there were a list of a hundred things I expected to happen right there, <laughs> I could not have predicted that. In any Castle Rock universe, <laughs> that could not have been predicted. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, my God. <laughs> Neither side of the schisma. Could you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um, I posted that on Twitter, and I was like, I have this idea for this dumbass joke that is going to make everyone uh, Vegas to go back on hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, God damn it. Anyway, um, so Castle Rock. We, <laughs> uh, we are reviewing episodes eight, nine, and ten. First up is Past Perfect, episode eight. Um, uh, Castle Rock, of course, is based on the stories of Stephen King. The series will intertwine characters and themes from the fictional town of Castle Rock. Episode 8, Past Perfect, was aired on Hulu on August 29th in 2018. The director is Anna Lily Amir. Uh, writer is Mark Lafferty. And the plot description, courtesy of IMDb, is Newcomers set up shop in Castle Rock, Maine, and Henry follows a clue. So, Tiny, Past Perfect. Uh, what did you think of this episode? And we'll kind of dive deep into the, uh, into the big moments of the episode. Um, it was a nice, uh, a nice little foray, um, into the weirdness of the town. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think it was more developing the town as a character, um, which is a cliche, weird thing to say, but, um, but pertinent for this show, I think. Um, I enjoy, I think these last three, these last, last three episodes are really, really like pretty fun mm-hmm. and informative and kind of different. Um, actually episode seven, is that the, that's the queen, right? That's the yes. one where they, so I think it's the last four are pretty, I don't want to say high concept, mm-hmm. but they're not, they're not like straightforward linear progression of the story type yeah. episodes. It's very, they're very unique and like they can almost stand alone mm-hmm. Almost, but not not quite. But you know what I'm saying? They're they're just very, yeah. very um, uh, oh gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, um, standalone, or, um, yeah, kind of standalone. Uh, kind of um, I don't know. Um, so, uh, self self contained, self contained, self contained. That's a good yeah. that's a good word for it. So. Um, also, there's a like each one kind of has its own like kind of tonal shift. Too. Right, right. Um, so it's kind of hard to pin down in terms of like. The overall like Castle Rock feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny. <laughs> uh, I was trying to I was trying to help you out and think of like self self contained. I have it right here. Self contained. Is <laughs> um, word. Um, but um, the story of the couple, uh, yes. Gordon and I didn't catch the wife's name, but um, them buying uh, Warden Lacey's house and turning it into a bed and breakfast that. Uh, is like a true crime bed and breakfast, uh, that celebrates in a morbid sense the, uh, crime and murders that have taken place in and around Castle Rock. Yeah. Um, I like, okay. So anything that the show tried to do after the queen already has like an uphill battle. Yeah. Because the queen was such a premium episode and such, such a great episode. 
in such a strongly um, depicted episode and strongly told story. Right. And I'm so happy that they pulled off <clears throat> Past Perfect the way that they did. Be- yeah. Because this whole story with the couple and the bed and breakfast and the murders and everything, like this, that, that subplot or that A story or B story for the episode is itself like it's basically it's its own self-contained story. And it kind of feels like Castle Rock, like doing like a Stephen King short story. Yeah. In television form. And I, I loved it. And it, there was some clear, um, maybe not so, not, not so much overt, but like it felt like there was some very clear, um, references and homages. Um, yeah. Like Gordon kind of has this <laughs> very heavy, like Jack Torrance feel to him. Uh-huh. Did you get that vibe at oh, all? Oh, totally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like guy with the kind of a checkered past and kind of dealing with some, uh, mental issues. Um, or, right. Anger issues, I should say, going to a secluded place with his with his family, his wife, yeah. and uh, being compelled by an outward force to, you know, wreak havoc. Tension in the marriage. And... Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and then it's kind of like, it's kind of like The Shining, with a dash of uh, Dumaki for good measure, mm. because of the paintings. Um, yeah. Gordon has the finds the paintings that Lacey, Lacey made of the kid, and like it's implied heavily implied that that's uh, what's compelling him to commit the murders and everything. Right, uh, kind of straight out of Dumaki. Um, and but the shining kind of aspect of it is kind of uh, makes makes Jackie Torrance's uh, involvement in it kind of an ultimate payoff. Um, uh huh. To her character, like, how did you feel about how that whole scenario? Let's let's just go through that, like that section of the of the episode. What did you think of Gordon and his wife and the bed and breakfast from hell? Um, I think it was a a pretty good tactic, um, for kind of roping the audience back into the town and back into the main story, because like like you said, the queen was such a such a like a, like a bus stop or a chicane along the way of the main story mm-hmm. um unbelievably satisfying i'm not that right. that wasn't a dig at it i'm just saying um we we needed we needed an end back into castle into castle rock you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying and uh and this was an interesting way to do it just because you know i feel like the the uh it was an indicator that uh the the town or this this aura or this uh, intangible force that has its spell cast over Castle Rock touches everything, mm. um, and like nothing is sacred or or whatever. And so there's this couple looking for a fresh start, kind of, and they have this high concept idea that could be very successful, and they get to town and it. You know, it all goes to shit <laughs> because right. it's Castle Rock, and that's what happens in Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought it was really satisfying. I thought it was very clever, um, really well done. I appreciated the gore, yes, and me the, too. The, the violence involved in it because um, I, you know, I don't think a Stephen King show should shy away from that, right? And a horror show, I don't think they should shy away from mm-hmm. that. Um, and it was just, it was just a, a really cool idea mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day. 
I agree, and I will also echo the sentiments about the gore and everything because I don't <laughs> think a Stephen King adaptation should be PG thirteen and ninety three minutes. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, let's talk about the murder. Um, Gordon, like like their first their first customers uh, is this man and woman that they're talking they're, they're talking to the customers about uh like castle rock and how like the whole idea of their of their bed and breakfast being in a museum to the macabre and they don't care at all (laughs) right it's two it's a man and woman that are uh they're uh, both cheating on their spouses right it's an affair yeah tryst that's all it's about yeah and what i love about that is that that kind of keeps the mystery going a little bit um because to an extent so like you could read it one of two ways like gordon is compelled by the paintings a la dumaki or their infant their infidelity of the customers causes him to finally snap and murder them because his wife cheated on him right so like it's clear that like there is some outside force and everything but there's still that over overarching question of whether or not the kid is this malevolent force and we don't we just flat out don't have enough uh data to support the idea that oh the kid is the evil force right it's just maybe warden Lacey just used some fucked up paints um, and that's what's <laughs> making that's what made gordon go crazy right um it's a little ambiguous a, a little bit but it's i i just love that you can read it Either way, I don't think anyone read it as him snapping and murdering them because they were cheating on their spouses, but yeah, the kind of just it's it's kind of there, like just on the outskirts of that. Um, and like all of that is in the cold open, like he, uh, uh, he, like she goes into the bedroom and like you just see the gore of the of the two dead dead people right and you just see Gordon holding holding the knife and then credits it's just it was very hitchcockian really cool. yes that's what it made me think of because it was oh, a yeah. pretty wide shot mm. it was an interesting angle cuz it was like if the camera was in the room it was kind of up in the corner a bit mm. of, like not a bird's eye exactly but un uncharacteristically placed uncharacteristically high in the in the physical space yeah was very a very interesting camera down down and at an angle yeah yeah um yeah yeah really cool very very hitchcockian to Mm. me yeah absolutely um let's see my notes are all in chronological order so (laughs) (laughs) um so then they clean up the murder later in the episode and gordon just says i don't know what came over me i'm not a murderer um like that that's just i don't know that's just so cool like seeing that kind of play out like it's like i said going back to the shining thing it's kind of like he is he's the jack torrance of the castle rock bed and breakfast right and he didn't but he didn't go through the pages and hours of uh of you know being seduced into it it's just like that happened right and uh i I like that um totally yeah and then jackie torrance shows up and like my notes say her showing up is refreshing because the show is actually giving her something to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, uh, first of all, like, I I don't know. There's just something really attractive 
about Jackie's kind of laid back attitude toward everything. Right. I don't necessarily mean that as like a sexual thing, like, oh, she's hot or anything, but there's something attractive about her, her energy and personality and everything. Yeah. Also, just attractive. But anyway. Right. Um, there's just something compelling. That's the word I was looking for. Um, about her attitude and everything. And how she's just a huge nut for the, um, uh, true crime stuff too. Right. Uh, what do you think of her kind of spoiling their fun? Yeah. Um, it's, it, it was funny. She is kind of like the, uh, I'm trying to think of how to characterize her. She's kind of like the, the, um, the town nut or like the, but in a town that's already crazy, she's one of the more level-headed people. And it's kind of funny that, you know, because Castle Rock is so messed up that she's, she's the most normal, but, but in any, in any, in any other town, she would be the weird one who's obsessed about the aura of the town. She really, yeah, that's a good it's, point. It's kind of a fun, fl- uh, script flipped there. Mm-hmm. Script flip there. I would- I would almost go so far as to say she's almost <clears throat> an audience conduit a little bit. Right, yeah. Um, she's a filter of some kind. Yeah. yeah. She's she's like the Stephen King fan's conduit. <laughs> right. Because she's the one that she's kind of on the up and up about. Like, she's she's she knows some shit. Yeah. Um, well, But she's kind of, like, passive toward everything. And she's a bit of a deus ex machina at times. And, yeah. And very... uh. Very expositiony, mm-hmm. delivers a lot of exposition, but uh, but it's her 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 kind of flippancy and her attitude is is a uh, it stands out on the show really, and yeah. I, I I appreciate the the direction they take with her character. Yeah, because there's no one else on the show that's like her. In the show. Right, right. Um, but yeah, so uh, Henry ends up going to the bed and breakfast to try to find stuff. About the kid, I guess. I can't remember exactly why he went. Um, but, uh, okay, let's, let's, let's circle back and go back and talk about Henry a little bit. Um, he goes back home to Ruth's house and like, he, oh God, my notes are all over the place. I'm so sorry. Um, oh, okay, so he was in the filter. Yeah, okay, okay, now I've got my bearings. So Molly has visions of Henry in the filter, and she goes into the woods to save him. And this was one part that I kind of didn't care for that much, um, because the show just kind of totally glosses over this whole part. Um, We had, like, in episode six, we had Henry go into, like, be trapped in this filter thing, and then we get a piece of Molly, like, frantically searching for him, during the queen and then suddenly like molly just has visions of henry in the filter and then she goes to the woods and rescues him rescues him and like we don't even see like she presumably it's her but she kills odin or or maybe it was willie kills odin i don't know someone kills odin and uh we just see his dead body with um like a screwdriver in his eye yeah and that's it and like we don't I don't. I felt like that was a little disorienting and clumsy. Did you get that sense at all? Yeah, it was a little strange. I don't understand why he needed to die and like who mm-hmm. killed him. I I really don't yeah. know either. Uh, I think that was kind of dropped a little bit. I got um, the sense that he was maybe maybe there's a deleted scene or something, but like I got the sense that he was 
he I mean he had to be killed off because he was like a person that was between Henry and you know Molly to come rescue him and everything but yeah. it's just it's like it was just weird because like she found him and like rescued him and everything but we don't get any of the um any of any of the uh we don't see action. it yeah I I wonder I wonder if it's a little bit implied that uh you know the kid was spending a lot of time just hanging out in the woods trying to hear the sound and you know he is a harbinger of evil things and so I wonder if him hanging out in the woods he got close enough to oh. Odin and Willie was it Willie Willy, that Willie just snapped because that's what happens around the kid you know and he killed him I wonder if that was kind of implied but maybe I'm just, that, that could be a stretch I would love to have seen something like that instead yeah. of what we got that would yeah. have been really interesting and a good way to kind of close the book on that <clears throat> particular subplot but yeah nonetheless molly molly rescues him rescues henry and then uh yeah uh he goes home (laughs) (laughs) he finds he finds ruth sleeping and then the kid is there and like he like henry just has that like what the fuck's going on look right and then perfect timing wendell comes home and the one big mystery surrounding the entire season of Castle Rock is what did Wendell buy in Chester's Mill? <laughs> we do not see what's in his bag that he comes in with. Right. Um but Wendell comes in, he looks at looks at the kid and he's like, he's still here and then <laughs> um Yeah, I don't know. Like that kind of felt a little cagey. Like like maybe they didn't know exactly how to handle this part of it. But eventually um, Henry sends Wendell off on a bus, uh, where he's hearing the schisma. And then we see him get off the bus and Jerusalem's lost. Right. Um, and then walk back to Castle Rock, but whatever. Right. Um, yeah. What did you think of this? And like, and we'll go into the kid guiding Henry into the, uh, into the shed where Alan's body is. What's which part? What? Uh, how do you feel about this kind of transition part of the episode where Henry is finding out about Alan's death? Oh, um, I don't know. I thought it was. <laughs> I, I I feel like I feel like of the three, like I feel like this episode the the most interesting part was the couple and all that. Me too. And so I feel like a lot of that other stuff was just kind of filler and kind of like setting up the last two episodes absolutely and so it just didn't stick with me that well Mm -hmm. even though i mean i watched this a couple days ago and so it just yeah it felt like i was just trying to get through the other part Mm -hmm. and so anything that i don't know it it, it felt very kind of fillery gotcha I, i i agree yeah there is that part with the um with the uh cop uh, played by Jane Atkinson, uh, right? Like Kathy Durant in House of Cards, um, where she is basically telling Henry, basically saying like, "Well, you know, you you bring death along with you." He's like, like a magnet or like a lightning a, rod. Yeah, a magnet, and he's a fucking lightning rod. Right. Um, it's just a really harsh thing to say to a person. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when there's a dead body. <laughs> right. Um. But I, I do like the idea that Henry's kind of deemed as a curse on the town. Yeah. And it's an interesting juxtaposition with what the kid is or 
may or may not be. Right. Um, yeah, but let's, let's jump ahead. So Henry, uh, asks Molly about Lacey's basement. And I thought that, that was a pretty solid way to connect the plot threads because that leads Henry to kind of sneak into the bed and breakfast. He, uh, and then he sees the paintings of, of the kid, like in the room. And, uh, God, it, that was so creepy just seeing like all the paintings just all over the room and the different dates. Yes. Was, very cool. It's creepy. Yeah. Um, and then he stops on, uh, one of the paintings has the kid that's wearing the same sweater that he- uh, Henry wore in his, uh, missing flyer as a kid. Right. I think I just wanted to say really quick. I sure. was I was very impressed by that, uh, that set because someone took the time to paint all those paintings. Yes, in real life. I mean, mm-hmm. those weren't just like, I mean, obviously it could be very possible that they were like you know photocopies or prints or whatever. Right. But still, it was someone created those absolutely those images and they took the time to lay them out physically. Like I, I just thought that was it was it was a particularly effective scene and it was it was effective because of that attention to detail and attention to attention to detail that i I really appreciated just wanted to throw that out there absolutely um speaks to the quality of the show yeah it's just whenever i see something like that that's like meticulously detailed and has like a lot of stuff like kind of throughout it um like i just like I always stop and I think like that's why it's so expensive to make shit exactly. in Hollywood. Yeah. Um because yeah, I mean just the time and effort and it's just it's insane. Right. Um but then we get like a huge like the um <clears throat> the um the violence just gets like ratcheted up. Like yeah. that whole like where uh the wife stabs Henry in the back was I've seen this episode like three or four times at this point. Uh-huh. And like that is such a shock to me. Right. <laughs> Every time in the ensuing struggle with the knife between the couple and Henry is so intense. Yeah. Um, God, it's so great. And then the wife nicks herself in the throat. Uh-huh. Um, and she's bleeding like all of that. Like the way that that plays out is like primo Stephen King stuff. Um, totally. Just really great. Like people that aren't accustomed to struggling with a violent act. Uh huh. And like it's not, it's not like Henry gets the upper hand and then stabs her or anything. It's just like she nicks an artery in the struggle and she's dead. Right. Um, God, it's so cool. It was a great scene. It was also very good camera work in that scene. Mm -hmm. I was very impressed by that. Um, especially this is going to sound morbid, but the, the, the the true bird's eye view of the wife pleading out yes. on the very it's a very stark contrast she's mm-hmm. she's on a, a bathroom floor yeah with very uh like traditional art deco style tile mm-hmm. um and it's like white it's very white it's uh, it just had it was just a um it again very Hitchcockian yeah. because of the, yeah. the the contrast between her bright shiny red blood and the mm. the stark whiteness of the the tile i was just it was just that image stuck with me after after Same watching here. this um and then also just the fact that like you know there's no there's no like dialogue in the scene it's all because right. you'd figure they'd be like no i'm just here for like i'm just i just wanted to investigate i wasn't trying to break it i don't care what you guys are doing yeah. you know there could have been like some you know trying to trying to qualify the the events yeah. or the the actions and and you know, or been like, oh no, honey, don't kill him, or something like that. Right. You know, there could have been 
and it, it would have it would have taken away from the scene. I totally agree. Just very well done. Like the most around. we get is Gordon screaming when his wife is dying. Yeah, and like and that's like that is just chilling. Also. Yeah, and I really liked um the wife uh her her body language mm-hmm. during it because I feel like she didn't want to kill him, but she was like she owes she feels so guilty for what she did to her husband. Mm-hmm. That she's like, well, this is what we do now. We, you know, yeah. if something bad happens, we kill people. And so she's like, well, I guess I'm going to stab this guy. And she just doesn't. She's like, oh, God, I just stabbed this guy. <laughs> and then she's like, well, I got to keep going. And she's like reluctantly trying to follow through with this. And it just backfires horrifically. Yes. Um, that was very well acted. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the actor. We call, keep calling her the wife. Yeah, I feel terrible um, that. Yeah. What's her, the character's name? Uh, the character is Lilith. The actress is Lauren Bol- Bowles. Okay. Lauren Bowles, yeah. Um. Yeah, and and again, it's just quintessential kind of Stephen King struggle action scene because it's not like it's it's not like a big, and it doesn't end there because Gordon still like follows him down the stairs and goes like right. goes after him outside, and then we get like, just such okay. So I lamented uh, the the way that the show you util, uh, used the shining canon from the movie rather than the book and talking about the axe instead of the croquet mallet but jackie torrance just putting the axe through the guy's head mm-hmm. um like that kind of pays off the shining movie like that that closes that complaint in my book um because yeah. that it fits well um what did you think of her coming in you mentioned that she's a bit of a deus ex machina and she definitely is here right totally uh what did you think of that the way that that was handled it was it was surprising uh definitely i didn't see it coming but uh but yeah I, well i mean obviously she was you know her first visit to the b&b she was suspicious and she yeah. knew there was something up mm. so it's not a surprise that she came back in some way but i wasn't even thinking about it and then all of a sudden the axe slams down good no, good uh audio work in that yes. by the way I, like the thud mm-hmm. the thud of the axe sinking into his skull uh, yeah. very, uh, chilling, chilling audio there. Mm-hmm. Uh, well done. But yeah, I was, I don't know. It's funny cause she's just such a, her character up to that point is just, she's just kind of there. Yeah. And she's kind always a plucky character. Plucky. That's a great, great adjective. Yeah. She's always so flippant and just kind of yeah. like, Hey, what's up? You are a weird guy who was in jail for a long time. Right. And, Let's just smoke a blunt and chill out in my car. Yeah. Like she's just so. Let me tell you about my crazy uncle. Right. <laughs> she, <laughs> she's just so, so chill and weird, and then yeah. she just comes out of nowhere and just sinks an axe into this dude's head. Totally. It was uh yeah. Now when they when she and Henry are like standing by the ambulance and like they're kind of in shock a little bit. Yeah. Do you, I I wish I would have like rewound this and, and watched this scene again because she's talking about the act. She's talking about putting the axe to the guy's head, but <clears throat> but I I don't know if she's explaining it to someone else or to Henry or is she reciting what she will write? Is she writing her book in that moment or is she just talking to someone? Did uh-huh. you how did you read that scene? I I think she was talking to someone. Okay. Giving them an account of what happened. Okay. That that sounds that makes sense. Yeah. Make sure we're good. We're good. Um. Yeah. Uh. Because I just thought with the the way that the season ends, I kind of thought like, oh, I kind of wonder if that was her writing a book, but, uh. Mm. But no. 
Um, so yeah, so, um, to kind of close out this episode, we, uh, oh, first of all, Henry gets a call from the pastor, from the pastor saying that his mom came up to the church and was asking about Pangborn. And so Henry runs and goes to find his mom because she's out, uh, out and, and confused. Um, then Molly comes home, finds the kid on the stairs of her house or her parents' house. Um, and he talks to her and says that he doesn't think that Henry's ready yet. Um, because, but you can help me because you know me. And he's just setting up the next episode, the kind of trippy, uh, episode. He ends it with saying that, uh, telling her that, that like pointing to the woods and saying out there in the woods, that's where you died. (laughs) And then end credits. Um, <clears throat> so overall thoughts on Past Perfect. What do you think of it? Um, I really loved the music in the in this episode. The, at mm-hmm. the end, there's kind of this this ominous music that's like has this recurring sound that kind of feels like a record skipping. Okay. Um, that just kind of like my uh, music, as you guys heard, my musical prowess and um, everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like that was the world being a little off kilter. Um, uh-huh by having that sound effect there. But anyway, um, <clears throat> what do you think of the episode? Yeah, it was, it was good. Like I said, I feel like there's a bit of filler there mm-hmm. and, but, but overall just a really great episode because of the whole, uh, outsiders coming into town and just the way that whole B and B thing, yeah. uh, concluded. And that was just nuts. It really, really cool episode. Um, and I liked the ending as well. Kind of the, the bit of a crescendo at the end with, with other Henry and, uh, um, or the boy and mm-hmm. Molly. Uh, I was like, when they were at her, her old house, like in her bedroom, I was like, he's going to kill the shit right. out of her. Um, you know, but anyways, yeah, it was great. It was a pretty good episode. I agree. Yep. And, uh, I really hope that in future seasons or in the next season, we get more of these little, standalone storylines with these characters that are kind of in their own world and doing their own crazy Stephen King stuff. Yeah, totally. Cause that was a really cool plot device for this uh, episode. Yeah. So, uh, shall we move on to the penultimate episode of season one? Sure. All right. So the next episode, the penultimate episode of season one of Castle Rock is episode nine, Henry Deaver. This episode aired on Hulu on September 5th, 2018. Uh, director for this episode was Julie Ann Robinson, and writers were Vinnie Wilhelm and Scott Brown. Uh, the plot description, courtesy of IMDb, is a world beyond these walls. And Tiny, I am so excited to talk to you about this episode. Yeah. Um, because this episode kind of, it kind of seems to be doubling down on hinting toward like, I, I wouldn't say, like, it's an overt reference to the Dark Tower series or anything. But the way I have it in my notes is that it's hint, it's doubling down on hinting toward referencing the Dark Tower series. <laughs> so it's not like a reference, but it's hinting at the possibility that it could be referencing the Dark Tower. Yeah. So, uh, the episode opens with an alternate view of Castle Rock, essentially. Um, instead of Warden Lacey's voiceover from episode two, we get Matthew Deaver doing a voiceover that's essentially his version of Warden Lacey's suicide note from episode two. 
He's recounting some of the horrific things that happened in Castle Rock over the years. Um, it's all recorded on little um, micro cassette tapes uh, that are later found. Um, there are a couple of things that he references. He says that the, the helicopter crash and the school bus crash, and like there's this freaking amazing overhead shot of the school bus on a train track and the train just demolishing it. Yeah. Very cool effect shot. Totally. Um, neither one of those are, I don't believe either one of those are Stephen King references. Okay. Um, I was wondering. Yeah. Which makes me kind of curious that, um, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of like the idea, like, I don't know, my weird brain, like this is obviously an alternate version of, of Castle Rock and alternate, alternate reality. Like, I kind of wonder if in that reality with the school bus crash and the helicopter crash, like, is that a reality where Stephen King's work is fiction? Like there's actual like fictional, like he, like, is that our version of the real world? Um, and then the version that we've been watching, um, is basically, uh, the Stephen King universe version of Castle Rock. (laughs) Wow. Um, you put a lot of thought into that. I didn't really, honestly. <laughs> you put some thought into I that. Did. <laughs> um, but yeah, do, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. I hadn't thought of that until you just said it, but that's an interesting idea. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, um, the opening moments of the episode, there's a baby killing. Um, there is. Yeah. Uh, basically, Matthew is recounting how his mother tried to kill him and then... Uh, he came back to life. Right. And I want to say that there's a Carrie reference in that. I. Oh, really? I think so, because, um, and it's, this is the, like, this is the downside of just listening, uh, like, passively listening to audiobooks, because I listened to Carrie, like, a month or so ago, um, but it was all kind of passively while I was working, so I can't remember, but I feel like there was something, like, I feel like Margaret White tried to kill Carrie and couldn't or something. Okay. I don't think it's as it was done here, but... Well, in... I mean, this is a different universe, so maybe in this universe it was Matthew Deaver, but in a different universe it was Carrie. Ooh, I like that. You know, they were... They're they're each other's counterparts in their (laughs) respective universals. Universi. Sure. I don't know, plural of universes. (laughs) I don't know if there is a plural of universe. Um, universes... Is it? Yeah. I like Universi better. I do, I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways. Because I, anyway. <laughs> and she was, uh, the mother of Matthew Deaver was played by, uh, Meryl Streep's daughter. I can't remember her name. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Um, which is interesting given, like, Sophie's Choice movie. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I, not, I don't think there's a, that's that was an intentional thing. Mm. Just I was like, oh well, that's just an observation. Yeah, I was like, okay. that's an interesting uh, theme that her family nice. has followed. Um, there is a kind of concept, or there is a there's a there's a Stephen King term <clears throat> or ism that I want to throw out to you that I I don't remember if it's like referenced in the Dark Tower series, but I think in I think in <laughs> Certain books that I don't think either one of us have read, they've referenced twinners. twinners. Are you familiar with this term? I am not. Okay, so twinners are basically Stephen King, a Stephen Kingism or trope where he is, he has counterparts to different characters. 
across different things. So like, okay. Um, I don't know if this is like an official one or not, but just since I just finished reading it, but, uh, Jake Epping and Johnny Smith, two characters okay. who are imbued with a gift or are, are <clears throat> in a position to basically they're doing the assassination thing. Right. <laughs> um, but the more direct ones are like, uh, Cuthbert and Eddie Dean, um, Elaine and, uh, uh, Jake Chambers and the Dark Tower series. Right. Kind of like characters that, that are counterparts to one another. Okay. Um, which this episode is revealing that that's what this whole season has been. Right. Um, Henry Deaver and the kid are kind of like twinners of each other. Yeah. Um, across different universes. Well, the kid is Henry uh, Deaver. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so we'll have to, we'll have to, I'll look into Twinners because I feel like they're, they're very, um, present in, in one of the books or one of, one of Stephen King's books. Okay. Yeah, actually, I was looking up, uh, Under the Dome, the TV show and, and, and the book, um, on like a Wikipedia page or something. Stephen King said, or Stephen King, the way, the way it was put was that Stephen King views the Under the Dome TV show as, um, an alternate reality of the book and that those characters are kind of twinners of each other, I guess. Okay. Huh. Um, yeah. So anyway. It's his way of saying he did like the show. Um, I don't know exactly. <laughs> I really don't because he's such a hard person to pin down. He is. With his ad- adaptations and stuff. Um, but yeah. So anyway, uh, the episode kind of opens properly, uh, proper by, um, showing the kid jogging and while the police cars are kind of passing by and everything, it's a fun misdirect because I mean, it's like, uh, it just makes you think that like the police are chasing him or whatever. Right. He's just exercising. Um, and we get this whole, like this whole opening, uh, speech that he gives for his work. Like I, I went, I wrote out what he said. Um, his first line in the episode is continuity. It's hard work. We don't notice we're doing it, but we're, we're, uh, shit. Um, but we are placing events in sequence so that our lives make sense. When continuity is interrupted, everything starts to slide. And I think that that's kind of a fun kind of meta line. Cause, oh, yeah. Yeah. Not only, not only regarding like the episode The Queen, but like the whole season, <laughs> like everything is all out of whack. Uh-huh. Um, and I just like that he is this person that's developing treatments for Alzheimer's disease. Um, also, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about Puck the cat. Um, the cat that, uh, Henry Deaver, uh, displayed for purposes of, um, showcasing the implant that he, he developed uh-huh. for Alzheimer's. Uh, very cute little kitty. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, do, I do like that part of his line is, uh, now, now Puck remembers, remembers things. He, he know he he goes back to noticing the sexy tabby across the street, <laughs> and I'm like, my kitty's a tabby, so anyway, yeah, little pizza roll. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so uh, I'm just basically recounting this, but I think it's kind of important to get kind of get our bearings. But it's revealed that he is Henry Deaver by getting a call from Pangborn. So what did you think of essentially this whole this whole idea, like the, the whole <sighs> concept of the episode, really? Of basically entrenching us in this alternate universe backstory. And <clears throat> do you believe it? Oh. 
Maybe that's something to ask later. But I do because I think uh, Molly, you know, she's experiences the evidence to uh, to an extent. She does, but my counter to that, like you mean Molly in our universe, Molly? Yeah, well, and also Molly in the other universe experiences all the visions of of Henry Deaver in our universe. But the depiction of other universe Henry slash the kid, it, that's all him recounting it's it true. in yeah. our world. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it kind of leaves it open ended. Like, like, is this a tale that he's spinning to Molly so that he can convince her to take Henry out to the woods so that he can do whatever? Right. Um, but even if he is making it up, it fits really well. Like, yeah, it makes sense. It makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, we also did get a um, uh, re visit of um uh Zalewski uh-huh. this episode from earlier in the season so yeah. that was cool Very um nice. yeah so in this basically in this alternate reality Matthew Deaver had found and kidnapped our Henry Deaver as a kid and kept him caged um because of essentially him being the devil and him being told that he is the devil and right. keeping him caged up um and and the kid slash white Henry is, um, <laughs> is the one that found him. And, uh, yeah. you know, hilarity ensues. <laughs> um, what did you think of this element of the, of the episode? Um, I don't know. I thought it was really, again, I, I, I love the attention to detail and all the sets because like, I think, you know, if, if I were, a showrunner or, or a director and I was going to the set design people I was like hey guys so you did a really good job like making these sets ah <laughs> oh, man they're, I love you guys did such a great job it's like really good detail and everything now I need you to change all of it <laughs> and then change it back we're gonna <laughs> go it's into like, an alternate reality right like I think about like the house where a reclusive Matthew Deaver was living for however many years yeah. and it looks way different mm-hmm. and it's very you know, the signs of a reclusive person living there and a crazy person living there. Um, and just the, the town of Castle Rock is much more bright. Yeah. And, uh, um, uh I don't know, uh, uh, bucolic for lack of a yeah. better word. Um, and when he, when, <clears throat> when Henry Deaver is coming back into town and is being driven back into town, like, I, <laughs> I kept like looking around to see like the storefronts to see how many references I could catch. Yeah. I could only catch one. I don't know if I think that that might be the only one. I, there are a lot of gaps in my Stephen King knowledge, but um, did you catch the reference? Uh, no. Okay. Well, it's for a book that I don't think either one of us have read, but uh, Claiborne's Creamery Ice Cream Shop. Okay. Uh, Dolores Claiborne. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Which herself, in a weird sense, I, well, I don't know. I can't say for certain, but um, well, in terms of adaptations, at least, um, it's interesting because. This episode is about twinners and, and, you know, these alternate things. Whereas, like, Dolores Claiborne is portrayed by Kathy Bates, who also portrayed, um, Annie Wilkes. Right. Misery. So it's kind of an, a, maybe I'm, maybe it's a stretch, but I kind of, hopefully you guys get what I'm going with. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, 
So honestly, like, I don't have that many notes for the rest of the episode, but basically, Molly helps him take Henry, the kid, into the woods. And I do want to mention that. So, so Henry, alternate Henry and Molly take the kid into the woods and they're experiencing this filtery, kind of like window into the an alt an alternate or multiple alternate universes. Right. Because they see just very like like a lot of different things. Kind of like it feels like it's overlapping everything. Yeah. Like police dogs chasing after a convict, a, a girl slitting her wrist and something else. Like a pioneer woman with a knife. Yeah. 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 Um do you in terms of the Dark Tower, do you think that that was supposed to be like a thinny? Because um, I know that in the Dark Tower, the thinnies kind of show you what you want to see, but it's also kind of a rip in space-time. Yeah. So. I don't know if it was that direct. Okay. But I think you could make that connection. Yeah. It's still a doorway to other <clears throat> universes. Right, right. That's very much in, in line with the Dark Tower. Right. Um. Yeah, it's just what would have been really cool is if they had like a doorway and then above it had like 1408 and then they had someone say like, oh, remember those numbers. Yeah. <laughs> and they have no fucking reason to. Anyway. Oh, um, my God. So I do want to mention this joke that if you're still listening after the whole Castle Rock party rock anthem thing, um, Zalewski chases after them and then he fires a warning shot, which I thought this was interesting. He fires a warning shot in the air. But it ends up in Molly's in Molly's back and exiting through the gut. Right. Um. So he sh- so he shoots her and she dies. Yeah. Uh. But my notes say tiny. I don't know if I said this in an earlier episode, but more like Zashutsky. Am I right? <sighs> because uh, he shot her. You are not right. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> so Molly's kind of dying. Dying words are help him. Right. Um. Yeah. Uh. And that's, I think that's when we get kind of overlapping visions of horror in the woods, like the girl cutting her arm, cutting, cutting her wrist and everything. Um, and like, that's when the episode kind of, kind of comes to an end to an extent. Like Henry, uh, adult Henry with our kid Henry are transported into our universe and our world. And we kind of get this, it plays out that, you know, he sees, he watches over the cliff, cliff of Pangborn finding Henry and it kind of pans out in credits. Yeah. Um, but the music that's, did you notice the music playing? Like, it's not a reference or anything, but did you take notice of the music? <sighs> I didn't. Okay. It, it's like this really solemn, like soft piano music that plays. It's just like, I, I love it. I, I don't know what, like, I don't know why I'm focusing so much on the music in these episodes, but, um, it just really stood out to me because it's, it has this very, like I said, kind of somber and this melody to it that feels like everything's kind of coming together because the story, as we know it, is coming together in a way. Um, and we're kind of getting answers to questions and everything. Um, and so he finishes telling the story to Molly in our world, and we're kind of left with the question of, do we buy this story? And does Molly, should we believe him? Should she believe him? Um, where do you land on that? Yeah, um... I do believe him, <clears throat> and the reason is because um, 
I mean, as far as we know, I, I, I mean, I, the reason I believe him is because Ward and Lacey had him locked in that cage for 27 years and he didn't age and he has all this, he didn't age. And it's like, there's something supernatural going on anyways. And so, like, we have proof of it because he hasn't aged in 27 years. And, sure. you know, it's referenced in earlier episodes where he, Pangborn confronts him and he's like, yeah. 27 years ago, I saw you in the trunk of the car. You haven't aged a day. That's, that's enough for me. That's, that's actual physical evidence of, right. of that, that being true. Um, I hadn't thought about it much because I just automatically thought, like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. what happens. I kind of did too. And then there was this, article with the showrunners that they were talking about how basically they were explaining this episode saying like we didn't want you to know like we wanted to leave it on a on an on an air of like should you believe him or not Mm, okay (laughs) um but i think the question really like kind of the thing to consider with this is that if he is telling the truth and everything that does explain the whole you know not aging thing to an extent that there's something supernatural and otherworldly going on but the alternative is that he's lying and he is this incarnation of evil that wouldn't age anyway because he is just an otherworldly supernatural being. Um, so I think that's where the kind of uh, the whole thing can, can kind of be, you know. True. The line can be drawn for it. It would be cool if he was the man in black. Man. I That's interesting. Another cause... version of, you know, the man in black. A flag. Randall Flagg, Same. yeah, another version of him. Yeah. Um, man, I don't know how I would feel about that, but that's interesting that you say that because after we talk about the finale, I do have this thought for a future season that I came up with that, that I think would be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. <clears throat> huh. Yeah. Is there a well? I'm you just answered it, but is there any? Are there any other characters that you would think that he would be a good candidate to be? Like in the grand scheme of Stephen King's oeuvre? Mm. Um. And also, it's been like six months. I don't know. Maybe we asked this to each other before. <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, um, I think Randall Flagg's a good. Right, I think that's the most yeah. obvious answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. um, Shall we go on to the finale? Yes. All right. So episode 10 of Castle Rock uh, aired September 12th, 2018. It's called Romans. Director was Nicole Castle. And writers were Dustin Thomason and Mark Lafferty. Uh, Dustin Thomason, I believe, is one of the showrunners of the show. Uh, IMDb plot description is some birds can be changed. Nope, that's not it. Some birds can be caged. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In... Fittingly, uh, it opens with a flashback to the kid in the cage being fed by Lacey. Right. And, okay, there's... Uh, okay. This is a stretch. I'm not going to... I'm not going to harp on it too much, but um, there's a line that Lacey says. He says, They painted over my parking space, painted it blue, little white man in a wheelchair. Sounds about right. Yeah. And I so desperately want to believe that it's a lost reference. Yeah. Uh, did you did you think that it was? No, I oh. mean I I. It is, but it's not like yeah. I you know it's I like think it's just a, a happy coincidence. Yeah, don't yeah. confuse coincidence with fate. I got it. Right. Um. Yeah. By the way, 
And I'm putting you on the spot because this is on the recorded. We're on we're on the party line here. <laughs> um, at some point in the lifeline in the lifetime of this podcast, we should do an episode that. And this is kind of a big, a tall order. But we should do an episode that's all about Lost and the uh, references that Lost's references and influences that Lost had from Stephen King's work. Oh wow! Yeah, that'd be. An episode. It would be something that we will do next week. I'm kidding. <laughs> We're not doing it next week. Yeah. It'll be years. Um, yeah, cause I was just, cause I was listening to the Wastelands today and Shardik the Bear and like just, you know, oh, right. People in, in the woods stumble across a bear. Right. Um, you know, yeah. That's true. The smoke yeah. monster. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking the polar bear. Yeah, that too. Yeah. I mean, both. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, Tommy Knockers, the, Whole thing of, uh. The hatch. Yeah. Yeah. People stumbling across a mysterious buried thing. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. God. I'll put, I'll, I'll start putting those together. Oh boy. Um, like I said, this will be in the future. Cause like, I'm rewatching Lost for Obsessive Viewer with Kirsten. And, uh, it's something that I would want to do after rewatching the entire series. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. So, um, Lacey has a gun, and he, like, wants to shoot the kid. Right. Um, and he's kind of lamenting not getting instructions from God, and uh, he can't bring himself to kill the kid. But before he does that, or before he, you know, raises the gun at him, he mentions, um, I never have, I never had kids because of you. Yeah. Interesting. Like, you could I still have kids. I focused on that line, too, and I was like, I wonder yeah. what that means. Like, yeah, I don't know. You know, now that I'm saying it out loud and thinking about it, like, I just thought it was just like, oh, cause, you know, you can't really, um, can't really, uh, you know, raise a family when you have a prisoner just yeah. kind of in a dungeon. Right. Um, but I think it's an interesting parallel that Matthew Deaver, who is kind of the warden Lacey in the other universe, uh, is also, not necessarily sterile, but has no biological children either. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't know if it's it's never explicitly said that he's sterile or whatever, right. but he doesn't well, have any biological children. And this is jumping ahead, and we'll, we'll, we won't touch on it too much, but at toward <clears throat> the end of the episode, well, later in the episode, the kid is at the uh, boy Deaver grave. Uh-huh. And I can't remember, like, earlier in the season, did they establish that Ruth and Matthew... Was it a stillborn or miscarriage? I don't remember. Or something? I really don't remember. Okay. I kind of forgotten about it. Yeah, I, I kind of had to. This has been six months. But um, well, <laughs> that's not fair because I did rewatch all the episodes in preparation for this. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah. So so anyway, that the flashback is crazy. Um, and then we get a montage of a bunch of stuff like inmates out, outside of the prison, uh, Jackie with the axe and Wendell getting off the bus like, Again, so it's kind of retreading some stuff from last episode. Yeah. And then we get Ruth standing on the bridge, which I meant, I forgot to mention that, um, I don't know if it's over, because last, last time on the podcast I talked about how, um, Pangborn threw the plaque over the, over the side of it. I said it's all into the river. I want to say it's probably a canal. Oh, That's yeah. That's my guess. But yeah. anyway, that just kind of drove me a little, a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so the montage happens, and then we get um, the kid and Molly talking. The kid says, to you, we're strangers, but I've known you all my life. That 
felt like that's compelling and he's pretty selling it pretty hard. Yeah. Um, but this, I want to single out. Uh, he says, he talks about what's in the woods and he says, I think it's some kind of door from one world to another. Um, that's like the most overt Dark Tower reference you can have in this this show. Yeah. Um, did that get your blood going? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit, definitely. Makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. I would have been happier with an actual door. Yeah. Or an actual adaptation. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that would have been too on the nose. Yeah, it really would have been. Because even in the Dark Tower, the doors only exist in Midworld. Yeah. So. Right. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So did you, uh, did you have any thoughts on the scene with Molly and Ruth where Molly finds her, um, on the bridge? Ruth is talking about how her and Molly have had this conversation over and over again and because she's yeah. been time jumping and stuff. Right. Um, and Molly tells her that Alan is dead every time. And, uh, what I thought was interesting was that Molly tells her about Ruth leaving Matthew in the alternate universe. I love the Ruth is like, that's the first time you said that. Right. Um, and that's a bit yeah. of a, a bit of a wrench into the machine, if you will, because if the kid is telling the truth and there are other ones and other wares, um, you would think that Ruth had maybe experienced it before. Yeah. Or is it just that that's the analogy that she uses to explain her dementia? Or is she actually time jumping? Like, what's the... That's a good question. Is she... Uh, we don't know. We don't know yeah. if that's all. If it's all just an analogy that she's... Or if it's how she's... I don't know. Like, her. it's her kind of release <clears throat> terms for... Right. It. I think that she is... I think that she is time jumping. I think the queen establishes that it's pretty clear she is actually time jumping. Okay. Um, but, uh. Well, if that's the case, yeah. then why has she never, I don't know. She's time jumping, but she's not necessarily jumping, or her consciousness isn't necessarily jumping between the schism to different universes and stuff right. like that. She's all in her universe. Right. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, so she wouldn't be kind of privy to the other universes. Right. Anything. Yeah. And this was the only time that, uh, like Molly has experienced, maybe it's the fact that, I don't, I don't know. I, I get what you're saying that like, if she's experienced this experience over and over again through just time jumping and everything, why is this the first time that Molly has experienced the, like, mentioned experiencing the other universe and everything? Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's above our pay grade to yeah. <laughs> discuss. Um, inmates are leaving, are leaving the prison. Uh, looks like they're shutting down Shawshank. Mm-hmm. And then it's some stuff that's just kind of setting up later events. Um, So we get a flashback to Matthew and Henry in the woods, and that's where we get the kind of title of the episode where Matthew tells him uh, that he's going to, in no uncertain terms, he says that he's going to kill Ruth. Um, And he says, he quotes the Bible and says, for the rages of sin is death. Mm -hmm. And that's Romans 6.23. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then the guy, um, oh God. So Henry... Uh, crashes his car, and then some guy, like, Mr. Exposition, <laughs> yeah, knocks on the window, and he's holding up a dead bird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because why not? 
and he's like, uh, it's happening all over town, you know, global warming. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I'll get into this later, but I, I love the idea. Like, I love the kind of descent into chaos that Castle Rock goes under in this episode. Right. Um, in my notes, I have it, I have it listed as <clears throat> basically it's, it's like, um, I got the sense that that, that is like the, like, it was like we're witnessing the, kind of big climactic finale of a fireworks display yeah um that's the kind of sense that i got um totally yeah so finally we're getting to some actual content here (laughs) (laughs) okay so molly explains everything to henry and this is where like i don't know about you but i really liked how this story turned out in general um because the idea that these two versions of the same man exist exist like the idea that these two men are the are two separate versions of the same person and the fact that they are existing within this within a single reality is causing chaos unleashed throughout the whole city that's that's the kind of read that i got there's also the question of is he actually the devil or not but that's the kind of thing that the episode was kind of leaning toward is that it's the fact that everything's unbalanced because these two men are existing in the same universe and that's what's causing everything to go out of place. And I really like that as a connective storyline connection throughout the whole season. Like, how did yeah. you feel about that being kind of at the forefront of the finale? Um, yeah, I like that as well. And it kind of, the my my reference to 11-22-63 plays into that question that you just asked that I feel like one of the themes of 11 63 is that time is obdurate mm-hmm. and I makes me this this show this season of the show has made me wonder if the schism is obdurate or like okay. existence is obdurate I just like to use that word too yeah um I don't think I'd ever heard that word before 11 63 yeah. but it's like you know the fact that so much awful shit happens around both of the Henrys is because primarily for lack of a better term, white Henry is that he doesn't belong there. And all of the evil that takes place around him is the fact that the schism or the universe does not want him there. Yeah. And therefore it just creates chaos around him. Um, and also, Black Henry is kind of hit all the chaos around him is the result of the fact that he kind of beat the system and kind of or kind of you know existed in both mm-hmm. both universes and so he's got a bit of heat on him as well and so th- it just kind of seemed like a sort of a fun theme that if you know <clears throat> the kid really is uh, the kid other Henry really is other Henry then I think that would make sense. You know, that he's, that's why it's, it's evidenced very well in this episode where um, it's evidenced really well throughout the season, but where uh, all the prisoners kind of freak out yeah. in his presence. And there's that kind of prison break riot mm-hmm. kind of thing. And every, there's so much death as a result of that. But, you know, also in the, the, the fire at Juniper Hill and the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the shootout at the, at Shawshank. Right. Um, uh, when he goes into that house and that family starts yes. goes crazy, which we talked about last time, so eerie. Um, so I wonder if that's the schism being obdurate. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's I, obviously it's never flat out said. Right. You know, it's not. I think if if that were actually the case, I think it would have been said or referenced at some point in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's kind of a fun crossover between those yeah. two those two uh, stories. I totally agree. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. <clears throat> I, I like the idea of the universe being operate, and, right? Uh, being off kilter, so it's you know wreaking havoc on everything. Yeah. I I really like that as a concept. Another interesting part of the transfer of the Henrys mm-hmm. um is that they take place in different times. Yeah, that's true. Cuz the kid the kid or White Henry gets sent to the other universe to 1991 or whatever. I think that's when it was. Uh but then Black Henry our Henry is sent to the other universe and it's basically present day. Yeah. That's huh. that's interesting. That is interesting. It, it it kind of falls into the column of maybe the kid is making this up because right. he didn't know what it was like back in 1991 because he was literally a kid. Right. Um, that's a good point. And so he put you know his own existence in modern day because he can explain that better. Mm-hmm. You know that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, I wonder. I wonder if are we supposed to infer that. Uh, that our Henry was transported into into the kids' world, um, and maybe he was there for twenty seven years. Yeah. Until I don't think that. Well, I don't think that's. I don't think that would be the case because he would be a lot more fucked up when he came back. Right. Um. Okay. Yeah. But he also can't remember really what happened to him. That's true. While he was gone. Because yeah. in our universe, Henry was gone for two weeks, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think I think he was actually there for 27 years. Yeah. I, I kind of wish it was more explicit. Yeah. Because um, that would be really interesting. Right. Um, one thing I want to mention, kind of apropos of nothing, this is just where it landed in my notes, is that I will say that as much as I love this show, and I really do love this season of television is, is great. Yeah. Um, and it's just so, it's so, uh, beautiful to have something so kingy, um, yeah. on, on TV and, and just so losty and so kingy and everything. Like it's, it's so, I love the show. Yeah. But, the one thing that this show is missing, uh, in my opinion, is a group of unlikely people who form up against the evil of the town. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's missing its own quartet or its own, its own central group, like its own losers. Uh, right. Um, it's a staple of Stephen King's work. And I kind of, I wouldn't say that they missed the boat doing this because I don't know how it would really fit in, but like, I just, like, I recently re-listened to Salem's Lot and, one of the things that works so well about that book, it's, it's not, I don't think it's on my top 19, but one of the things that works so well is the, is the way that these disparate characters just kind of find themselves just coming together to, uh, to fight this evil, right. this central evil. Um, and just the way that the characters just are brought together and just organically happening and everything and logically, logic, logicking out this supernatural problem. <laughs> is something that I love in Stephen King's work. And I just kind of think that, um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it was, it was a detriment to this season of Castle Rock or anything, but I will say that I really hope that they kind of work in that kind of King staple in season two or future seasons. I agree. One of the, I think one of the weaknesses of this season of 
of the show is that um, I don't think any of the main characters are particularly likable. Yeah, es- especially yeah. Hen- Henry. I think he's he's like very selfish. You and... you've said that before, and I I'm kind of coming around to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just think he's selfish and he's very standoffish to everybody, and he clearly doesn't want to be there, and it just makes him a grouch the whole time. Yeah. Um, and even like you know, Pangborn is is a very confrontational person. Mm-hmm. Um, Ruth, you know, she's a very a very innocent and a very victimized person throughout the season. So she's not unlikable. It's just, you know, she's, she has dementia and it's hard to really latch onto her character. Um, and then Molly is just, she's so lost because of her ability that she's trying to keep at bay. She doesn't embrace her ability at any point except in the other universe. Um, and it just, I think it holds her character back a little bit. Yeah. And but no, no, there's no one's a hero. Right. That's the thing. There's no, there's no Beowulf, you know what I'm right. saying? There's no hero and it's, it's, it's not a bad thing. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's a, a downfall, but it makes it a little less ac- uh, accessible. I think I, I can definitely see your point. I will <clears> say <throat> that the one hero of the show, uh, murdered a bunch of prison guards in episode four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's yeah, true. I think Saluski was like the one character that was like he was the white knight kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I would even say Jackie a little bit, but she's too plucky and she's too she's, she's too court jestery. Yes, she's too yeah. disconnected from everything. Right. Um. Yeah. So, uh, moving on. Um. <laughs> so, uh, so the police are questioning Henry for the murder of Odin Branch. Which I like that because it, it again closes that loop. It closes that, uh, that dangling thread where, like, cause I said in the previous episode or the episode before, um, it just, it was just like left hanging. Like we just saw his dead body and there's nothing, but I like that it's paid off later. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, the warden, uh, she's, she's in her home and she sees the little piece that, uh, the kid had, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, when he was found. And then she goes to Molly and to find the kid, and she gets freaking destroyed by a bus. Yeah, the prison bus. The prison bus, no less. Yeah. yeah. Uh, really cool. I I really thought that was that was a nice uh, a nice touch. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, shocking, and also, I mean, that character also was just. I don't want to say underdeveloped, but she she. Underutilized. Yeah. Yeah. Could have been had more of a presence, definitely. Yeah, but then again, it's it's a crowded show anyway, so it is, yeah, yeah. Um, but like to get like kind of right to the end, like I was kind of, I ultimately like the word that I would just use is like I was just very disappointed in Henry. Oh yeah, in the fact that he didn't trust other Henry or the kid, mm-hmm. um, and just go with him to the woods and just see this thing through and see what happens. See, that's. He puts him back in the cage. It's just, it was just so cruel and dark to me. I just, it's not that I didn't like it. I liked it. I think it was a great creative decision, but I was just, you know, as, as a, as a participant in the show, I was like, man, what a dick. It just made me, (laughs) it just, it bummed me out. See, I, you know, it's funny. I, uh, respectfully, I, I was in a different, uh, headspace with that. Really? Yeah. Um, I didn't mind. Yeah. I liked <laughs> it even because he, he kind of, 
Henry, our Henry kind of follows the kid into the woods or is reluctantly held at gunpoint to be taken into the woods. Right. And, uh, like, it's clear he doesn't want to take part in this or anything. And, like, I get that. Yeah. But when he gets the, when he wrestles the gun away from him and then he sees, like, like that freaking shot of the kid, like, his, potentially his true form. Um, which I love, like, that, that moment is the reason why I love this show so much. It's a, it's a microcosm of the greater idea of Castle Rock and this season of Castle Rock and why it's so great to me. Even though it's kind of derivative of, um, of the Twilight Zone, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, it's because the way that they shot that scene is so kind of brilliant, the way they edited it together. Cause, Henry has the kid at gunpoint and then you see this transformation of this blue kind of scaly like creature come out and like a roar that's just monstrous. Mm-hmm. And then it's just for a split second and then it transforms back to the kid and like his immediate reaction is this look of confusion like like he doesn't un- like it's like he doesn't understand why Henry is horrified. And I love that because it's playing both sides. Like, okay, it's either the kid is, uh, the kid, uh, <laughs> the kid has shown his true, his true colors and he is trying to manipulate him through like a look to not, to not buy into it, to kind of, he's gaslighting him into thinking like, oh, I've been, I've been, you're just crazy. <laughs> yeah. You didn't see this weird, like monstrous thing. <laughs> um, or he genuinely didn't in like, like our Henry is actually just cracking like his, He's going insane and like he's mm-hmm. just, it's a, it's a slim chance that this is the case, but like, is it so crazy to think that maybe he just fantasized this transformation? And then that's where it kind of the, everything kind of resets and that he makes a decision and he locks him up in Shawshank and then, um, the cycle, the next cycle begins. Right. Um, well, also the literally the closing shot. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I was, if I saw this wrong, but was the kid smiling? He was. I, that was like, I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, I don't know what to do with that. And I love that because you, you were just talking about how like previous episodes were so Hitchcockian and stuff. Like yeah. That is straight out of Psycho. Oh, totally. Um, I love that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get to like our, our kind of dive into the ending and everything, there's a couple things I want to bring up. Uh, the whole, uh, <laughs> The whole prison escape or jail escape where he's like, you just see the kid has orchestrated it just by looking at everything like this massacre in the police station, just very cool. And like the whole look of horror on Henry's face when he's like, did you, you did all this or you, this is you or whatever. Um, just really cool. And there's a moment, and this is where I'll go on a little bit of a tangent, um, and kind of tie it back to the stand a little bit. Oh. No, I'll save that for, I'll save that for after we finish this episode. I'm sorry. Um, okay, so then there's this kind of whole, uh, I mean, I guess we're kind of done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's this whole, uh, montage and everything. There is one of the last things before the montage or the, or the time jump is that, um, oh, yes, okay. <laughs> um, before all of that, there's a flashback to Henry evade, like, little kid Henry evading Matthew in the woods. And that's where we get this, reveal that he did push him off the ledge right and everything 
And what I love about that is that uh, little Henry does the Danny Torrance double back footprints in the snow thing. I loved that reference. That was so great. Direct reference. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so cool. Um, that's so great. Um, yeah. And then we get the montage or the time jump for one, one year later. Uh, Henry's practicing law in Maine, lives in Castle Rock, uh, good relationship with, with Wendell. Uh, this I thought was interesting. Um, Molly's gone. And <laughs> did you, did you notice where she was? I think we talked about this off mic. She's in Florida. Yes. But I didn't notice if it was somewhere specific in Florida. Okay. So she is watching TV with her grandmother. Um, the house she's in is all pink. And the, uh, the, uh, telecast shows her, her advertisement saying like, oh, you know, something's like her slogan has something like she's the realtor for the keys. Uh-huh. Um, it's, uh, she is in big pink from, from Duma Key. Uh, okay. Like that's, that's clear. That's gotta be a reference to Duma Key, <coughs> which huh. I think is kind of weird. Cause like Duma Key, like, I mean, for my taste, it wasn't, it was okay. Yeah. Um, but it's weird that we got like. Kind of two Duma Key references. Yeah. Um, this season. When I feel like it's not really, I don't know. But anyway, Ruth's dead, buried next to Pangborn. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, okay. So I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to give anything away from, from like other works and everything, but, uh, the kid's caged now again. Uh, Henry's at Shawshank, uh, kind of looking after him. Uh, in my notes, I have cause a wheel. <laughs> And so Henry's now in the moral conundrum that Lacey was. And what I like about this is this is slightly different from what, from what, uh, Lacey was in because now the kid is talking. Uh, yeah. and I wrote down some of what he said. He said, uh, I know you will, I know you still have doubts, Henry. How long are we going to do this? Um, Henry says, I don't know. And then, uh, the kid says, after a while, you forget which side of the bars you're on. Uh, that's what Warden Lacey used to say. And then Henry leaves and then, ends with the kid smiling so yeah um and we'll talk about the scene with jackie right after that um because i have a lot of thoughts on that but what do you think overall of the season and this episode and the ending and everything like you said that you didn't like henry and thought that it was kind of a dick for him to do that but i don't know how did you feel how did you feel about the way things were tied up yeah i i it was hard for me to go over that because i was i believed the kid and i wanted to see you know, I felt like that was going to be the climax of this was the kid getting back and, okay. um, getting out to the woods and experiencing the schism and all that stuff. And that's what I was actually expecting. Um, and when that didn't happen, I was disappointed. And like, I, I think it's good that I can be disappointed in Henry. Yeah. Like, I'm not disappointed in the show. Right. Um, so I wanted to make that clear. Um, okay. um, but, it, oh, but I, I, like I said, I agree. I think it was a, a very satisfying creative decision to make the way, the way they ended it was, was interesting. Um, and that whole, you know, the kids smiling at the end just like really got me this time. Cause I, I rewatch, yeah. I rewatched the episode for this mm. to record this episode. And like, I didn't pick up on that the first time I watched it. And so seeing it again, I was like, oh man, that's just, that was unsettling. I mean, mm-hmm. Bill Skarsgård has that face yeah. where he can just be very unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it worked on, it worked on that level. Um, but it just, it freaked me out. And I was just like, man, I don't know what, I don't know what to do with that. And I kind of, right. I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. I kind of love it. Um, and what's great is it's, it's an anthology <clears throat> show. So we're probably never going to get 
any resolution to that or right. like it's it's gone right um and i i love that that's like the classic like ambiguous ending that i love <laughs> yeah i liked it a lot yeah um before we get to the Jackie Torrance thing i do want uh, okay no 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 we'll talk about Jackie Torrance here so the it's they're calling it a mid credit scene but the credits don't actually roll until after the scene but that's semantics but so it fades to black after the smile and then opens on uh Jackie Torrance typing away on her computer uh writing the story of of her, you know, murder. I don't, um, think, I, I don't think I saw this. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't oh know. Oh my there. god, are you serious? Yeah, I didn't know there was a scene. Whoa, hang on. I'm going to actually The axe felt right in my hand. But let me tell you, when I heard the pop of a skull giving up its secrets, I felt the root and stem of a cleft brain stopping the blade, I realized where that axe really belonged. Dead center of the good professor's head. What's it take a horror or whatever? That's pretty reductive. I don't get the title. Overlooked. Who's overlooked? Backstory. You know, ancient history. It's family history. I'm actually headed out west on a research trip next month. The best place to finish a book is where it started. I read that somewhere. That's cool. Yes. So I have a lot of thoughts about that. Yeah. Um, first of all, super shining ish. Yes. On so many levels. Oh yeah. The cigarette, the glasses, the sweater, the zooming in. Shit. I didn't even, I just thought uh, content wise. Wow. I did not even think about that. Wow. I'm an idiot. Um, (laughs) but the, the thing that kind of stuck out, stood out to me, stuck out, stood out. I don't care. Um, (laughs) is that, when the guy says, what's it, like a whore or whatever? And then she's just, she just says, that's pretty reductive. Um, I love that because I don't know if this is intentional or not, but I kind of read that as like the creators, like kind of poking fun at the kind of people we've talked about a lot, like the kind of lay person who isn't like a hardcore Stephen King fan. Yeah. Who's just like, oh, he's just a horror writer. He just writes horror. Where his writing is more character based and story based and like based on like interactions and, and character development and stuff. I feel like this is poking fun at that. Like that kind of idea that Stephen King is the master of horror instead of being like a master of genre storytelling. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. And so when he said overlooked, uh, as the title and everything, ugh, like, okay. First of all, mid season, I was thinking like in the middle of the season, I was like, I really wish that they would make a, and I, I'm sure I said this on the podcast. I really wish that they would make a series, like an, another anthology series that's not connected to Castle Rock, but it's like a blood relative of it to borrow Cloverfield stuff. Um, where it's just the Overlook Hotel and it's just an anthology show that each season takes place in a different time period, tells another story about the history of the Overlook Hotel, mixes mm-hmm. in different lores from Stephen King's, uh, uh, work and everything. I just, I would love to see that. Um, yeah. So anyway, that'd be cool as shit. Yeah. Right. 
in the idea that we could have like two anthology shows based or inspired by Stephen King. Yeah. Um, without being like a hard adaptation of anything is just great. Um, when this episode aired or was released on Hulu, um, the Hollywood reporter had an interview with the showrunners. Um, basically the headline is, um, uh, Castle Rock creators on what that shining f- finale twist means for season two. And so they outright asked them, like, uh, will the Hulu drama explore one of Stephen King's most legendary horror stories in its next run? And the, they don't give a straight answer. They don't give any answer, really. Um, basically when they're asked if it, if it means that the second season is going to take place at the Overlook and it's going to be uh, inspired by The Shining, uh, one of the creators says, uh, we would tell you, but we'd have to kill you. Um, <laughs> And so, like, there, I'll put a link to the show in the show notes to this, uh, here. But would you want to see season two of Castle Rock leave Castle Rock and go to Sidewinder, Colorado and go to the Overlook Hotel? Uh, I mean, yes, but no. It's mm-hmm. like, like you said, I would love to see the Shining Universe explored more. Mm-hmm. Um, but. The show is called Castle Rock, and it's about Castle Rock, and I think it'd be strange if they did that. I and I agree. Like, okay, so this is a quote that they that the creator said. Um, uh, okay, so for, I'll just read this uh, quote. Um, one thing that we set out to do at the beginning of this season was to tell a story about a very different kind of Castle Rock than the one that people had seen in the books. We wanted to tell a story about what a mill town in 2018 that had suffered from economic de- uh, deprivations and job losses and exodus really, wow, I fumbled that, really looked like now in modern day America. For us, Steve as a writer has always been incredibly contemporary. We felt like we were honoring his spirit by taking Castle Rock to 2018 rather than doing a picket fence version of Castle Rock. I think that part of what we really, what we have really found true over the course of this season and what we have enjoyed writing has been some of the effects of thinking about that town and who the people are that live there and what they are uh, and what are the everyday horrors that they face, whether it's working in a prison, suffering from dementia and the horror of that. What does a modern small town, what, what does a modern day small town look like in the aspects of the human horrors that Steve has uh, been exploring for so long? Are things that we certainly take are things that we certainly hope to continue to look at taking natural horrors that we go through every day and turning them into something Kingian. And that was not the quote that I wanted to read. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Um, Oh yeah. Okay. He says, uh, one of the show owners says castle rock is really just a state of mind. In the end, castle rock is really the friends. we. (laughs) I forgot. It's a joke. Um, In the end, castle rock is really the friends we made along the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but in more serious terms, they say, I think that's exactly right. I do actually think Castle Rock is a state of mind. So I could see Mm. them doing that, like going to a different location, but I wouldn't be mad at that at all. But, but I think it's just contextually, it's weird. Mm -hmm. Like if the show was a true Stephen King anthology show, yeah then that would be, I think, fair game. Awesome. But the fact that it's a, it's a Castle Rock anthology show. Mm-hmm. That's what I think would would hamstring that, or just yeah. I, like I said, I'd be fine with it, <laughs> but right. but I think it'd be a little a little goofy. It would t- it would take some creative uh, working around right. the title, right? Unless because okay, so like the haunting of Hill House, 
they just announced season two is a go and that it's going to be an anthology show. So it's like the haunting of something, something. Okay. So it's not going to be the haunting of Hill House season two. It's going to be the haunting of, I can't remember what it was, but it's mm. going to be something else. So like, would you, I mean, what if they do like season two of Castle Rock is actually a season of The Overlook or, mm. and then like season three would be, uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> another location. <laughs> right. Man, what would be another good one? Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot. Yeah. Jesus, why didn't I? Anyway. Uh, or they would just call it Jerusalem's Lot or something. Right. Like, would you rather have that or would it, would you rather have it be Castle Rock, Castle Rock, Castle Rock? I, I, I would rather have a true Stephen King anthology show. Yes. Then, then, as opposed to, a location anthology show. Okay. Um, yeah, because it mm-hmm. it's just it it, it it it's a show that could go on for twenty seasons, and just go on forever. Yeah. Uh, not forever, but you know what I'm saying. Right. Uh, just a, a, such a deep well to draw you're, from. You're right. It could go on forever and ever. <laughs> and ever. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I did have an idea for a future se- or a thought for a future season in my notes. So. Bear with me here. So there's a line where the kid says, as long as I'm here, things will get worse. Yeah. And he says that, and then obviously we know that things get, like, he is in, he's there. He's he's stuck there. He's in the cage again. Uh-huh. Um, and it couldn't happen this cleanly. Like, what I'm about to say is not something that could cleanly happen, specifically because CBS All Access is going to be adapting the stand. But it would be kind of cool to have, like, a season of Castle Rock... <laughs> take place in a post-apocalyptic setting like The Stand. It would be kind of a Castle Rock-centric good versus evil story inspired by The Stand. So basically, The Stand, but in Castle Rock, where like, mm. all the players are in Castle Rock. Yeah. Uh, maybe not that cleanly or anything, but you know, inspired by The Stand. And, like, it wouldn't be stated outright or even, like, hinted at. It would just be something that's kind of, would be in the back of the viewers' minds, but this would take place far enough in the future that what, like, we would just, it would be kind of an underlying thing that, like, okay, this hat, like, Captain Trips or whatever the super flu is in Castle Rock's version of, of the story is the direct result of the kid being in the universe. And, and, like, this is the ultimate, like, end of it is that he's created this, his being there has created the world to go into a post apocalyptic state and everything and decimated by this super flu thing. Hmm. Um, I think that'd be kind of interesting. But, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on season two? Like, what do you, anything that you would want to see, uh, hinted at or played with? I mean, I want them to just do more, uh, stated course, because I think this was a fantastic season of television. And, and I loved all the Kingisms. I think they are very true to his style, mm-hmm. um, on so many different levels. And I, Honestly, I what you laid out where they do a whole, you know, Jackie Torrance goes to the Overlook Hotel mm-hmm. or something, I don't know, uh, or there's st- the Shining stuff, whatever, that universe yeah. or that, that story, that would be fantastic. I would love that, but I just think it would be, it would, I don't know if that would necessarily be staying the course, if you will. I agree. Um, yeah, and I, like, I think... They can pretty much do whatever the hell they want. They, they can't, like, frankly, because I'm, I'm, I'm on board. Like, I'm gonna be there. For yeah. It. At the yeah. end of the day, they have created 
one of my personal favorite like Stephen King properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did it in a way that doesn't isn't a direct adaptation of any of his work. It's, right. It's like its own thing. It's it's such an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, like they have bought enough, um, enough goodwill to do whatever they want. I'll, yeah. I'll watch. I'll either way. I'll watch it sight unseen. But I mm. like I, they. They've given me no reason to doubt anything that they'll do. Yeah. Having said that, if they do do the Overlook the next season, like that would be cool. That would be very interesting, and I would be so on board with it. But, um, also I wonder if they would be able to. Anyway, um, but I would just always in the back of my mind think like, okay, the Overlook deserves its own series, and like. I could see like a Bates Motel style series that instead of being like, uh, you know, the story of the Overlook from season to season, it would be like anthology going through past stories throughout the Overlook. And then maybe like the final season would be the Torrances, like the, the story of the shining adapted to that. Uh, okay. Um, I could see that getting stagnant though. You really? Yeah. I think I could. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess because one setting and everything, I could, right. I could see that. Yeah. Um. Uh, but I would still, I would love to see it happen. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. But anyway, um, any parting thoughts, or should we wrap this up? Um. I think we should wrap it up. Okay. Because you are sick and. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that is our review of the last three episodes of Castle Rock that aired six months ago. Um. <laughs> we. Uh, appreciate you guys listening. Let us know what you thought of Castle Rock season one and what you want to see in future seasons of Castle Rock. Um, and yeah, I think coming up on the podcast, we are going to talk about the Dark Tower soon. Um, we have an episode recorded or a little mini episode recorded, uh, that's all about the adaptation and everything. And I might, I might do like a supplemental recording to that to kind of pad it and everything because I went on a Twitter storm this morning about it and I kind of want to put that in podcast form. Mm-hmm. Um, so be looking for that next week. And then after that, we are going to go into pet cemetery. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to review the book. We're going to review the 1989, uh, adaptation. And then we, <laughs> the weekend of, uh, April 5th is when the new movie comes out. We're mm-hmm. going to review that. And, uh, yeah. Well, we're super excited. I'm super excited for it. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, so be on the lookout for that. And of course, uh, check out our other podcasts, um, Obsessive Viewer. It's a movie and TV podcast over at obsessiveviewer.com and check out Anthology, my side project podcast where I talk about, uh, the, uh, the Twilight Zone and Black Mirror. Um, I'm going to be reviewing the new Twilight Zone here in a month. I'm so excited for that. And Tiny, I think you and I, I put you on the hook for doing a Bandersnatch review. Yes. Yes, we'll do that in a couple weeks, I guess. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Okay. Uh, but yeah, but that will do it for t- this episode of Tower Junkies. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. Tower Junkies is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to TowerJunkiesPod.com slash archive. You can also like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod and follow us on Twitter at TowerJunkiesPod. 
If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter, at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and OVAnthologyPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty! Castle Rock! Castle Rock is in the house tonight. Everybody just have a king yeah. And we gon' make you lose your mind. Everybody just have a king Castle Rock is in the house tonight. Everybody just have a king Watch that.